me throwing stones like it's going out of style. Seeking for the ones that can devour. Yeah. But you can't let them have it. You can't let them take the power. Don't forget who you were made to be. Be royal priest of your child of the king. Don't give in to negativity. Just keep smiling in the face of all your enemies. You can cream it down a way too high up, high up. Close above the clouds, I'm caught in your love, your love. And nothing that you say can change a thing. There's a greater voice affirming me. You can cream it down a way too high up, high up, high up. People always got a lot to say. Full of noise, voices running by the day. Everything is up for debate. She say, he say, we say, can't nobody get it straight. Don't forget who you were made to be. Royal priest, you're a child of the king. Don't give in to negativity. Nah. Just keep elevating above all your enemies. You can cream it down on way too high. Higher. Oh, no. just know him as Jared. I know him as Jared. And I haven't been able to be in church with him for about 25 years. Hey, you did good up here. Of course, I have to tell him that that's my piano scooter. So if you like it, just say thanks after church. It's a great job. Several years ago, I met your pastor in the office over at the Cottage Hill location. And I never told you this story. I had come down to visit a friend and I guess Providence Hospital, the white one that looks like a spaceship, that hospital. And she was dying of cancer, and they had brought her children in to say goodbye. And her children were 16 and under. And so I went in, and I prayed with the family. They had asked me to come. We had been close for several years, and we wept together and said our goodbyes and prayed. And didn't think to ask the Lord to heal her. The doctor said it was today. So, man of faith and power. And so I left and I had an appointment to go meet your pastor. And I believe in divine connections. And I believe that there's a divine electricity sometimes that takes place when, when men of God cross paths. That's why I'm telling you this story. And so I went to meet your pastor. And when I left, I heard the Lord say, go back by Providence and pray for Tabitha again. And so I said, well, the family must need me. So I went back to Providence and I went in and, and they were weeping. They, they were saying their final goodbyes because she only had hours and um, I said Tabitha I feel like the Lord said to pray again can we pray and she and her husband agreed and just a simple prayer there was no tongues there were no prophecies just I said Lord you know if it's your will will you just heal her and if it's not will you take her on peacefully quickly and I left and headed back to Birmingham actually to Jared's parents house because that's where I was staying and um, I got up there to Forgive me if you guys don't use this term anymore, but when I lived in Mobile, we called them the Dolly Parton Bridge. I got up to that bridge, and I don't know the other name of it. And um, the phone rang, and I pulled over, and it was Tabitha's husband, and he was screaming and laughing and crying. And I thought, well, she must have passed on, and this is his grief. I said, Greg, did she leave? No! He said, the doctor came in and wanted to do one more test, and there was no answer. 
that story because sometimes we don't understand who we are and what we accomplish and what we do. Had it not been for brother scheduling me for an appointment to meet him, I would not have stayed. Had I not encountered the anointing that's on him, who knows what the Lord would have done. But I understand that because of the encounter with that anointing, I went back to the hospital with the anointing that, that God used here. You know, we never do anything apart. We're connected, and we're all members of one body, and, and sometimes the Lord just brings us together. So I just wanted you to know that. Um, I'm excited to be here. I've wanted to be here for years. I, um, I need to say thank you. Several years ago, you guys blessed us. Blessed us two different times. You blessed us once under your former pastor, and then you blessed us with um, under the ministry of Pastor Brock. And at times when it was absolutely necessary that God moved for us, you guys blessed us. And, and we want to say thank you. We're, we're, we're excited about what God's doing. We're seeing God do, do tremendous things. We're still in the city of La Ceiba. Under, I understand. Is, there, is the Honduran family here? ¿Dónde están? visto cómo se Yo tengo entendido que están de San Pedro. ¿De qué parte de Honduras son? San Pedro. ¿Cuánto tiempo tenía acá? Ah, usted es más americano que yo ya. Yo tengo mi carnet, yo soy catracho ya. Yo digo que soy catrachingo. Pero es un placer a conocerlo. That's my, my countryman right there. Um, <laughs> sir, you read preach in Spanish? Y el Señor me dice que somos una generación profética y si usted quiere ser parte de esta generación profética tiene que hacer un compromiso con Jesucristo y ser lavado por la sangre de yeah like that yeah. all right they do don't you yeah so I told you the Lord's doing great things in Honduras I'm still convinced and in a minute I have a word I believe for the house but I want to share this with you I'm still convinced that the, the next revival that will sweep the world comes out of Central America. I feel like the Lord showed me that 20 years ago. I feel like the Lord, I know the Lord shown that to other men. We see God doing things, and Honduran people can go places that we can't go. They carry a presence of the Lord when they leave. And many times, and, and, and many times we don't understand why they're coming here. I'm convinced they're coming here. Central Americans are coming here because this is the temple steps. And they will encounter the glory of God and take it back to their nations and, and many others. So, so, so we're convinced that God's doing things, but we're seeing him do things. We're still under quarantine to some extent in the city of La We can't meet in, in big groups right now in our churches. We're meeting in, in our La church. We have three churches. I'm, I'm the pastor of, of Life Church in La Life Church in Orantico, Life Church in Almendras. And we have campus pastors that, that oversee those churches. Our other two churches are, are in revival there. You know, Mendes, we just finished a brand new building, and, and, and they're growing enough to understand that place. The first time we went there, we went there on the back of a mule, and, and we carried doctors and nurses in there because people were dying, and a young man heard the call of God, and he went, Lenin Salgado. He couldn't see. He cried down both sides and on the front and the back because his eyes went both directions. And actually, Jared's parents facilitated the surgery that, that brought healing to that young man, and we've watched him become a man of God, and today... He just built in that village where you can't see where people live. He built a 300-seat sanctuary because God's doing revival there. In Oranchito, we're seeing revival. In La Ceiba, we saw resistance because we're still quarantined, and, and we couldn't figure out what to do. We, we want to see a move of God, and we're having to split up into like three and four different garages just to have church, and all of a sudden, something's happened and because we got out and got close to the people, and all of a sudden, whole families are coming to Jesus. So God's doing things. 
He's just doing things. We're, we're about to open a brand new campus of the, of the institute, the campus in Roatan. We exhausted the student population because that's a very enclosed area there. And, and we finished training, we closed that campus. And we're about to open in a city called Cuyamel. We're going to open in Cuyamel. And we're, we're getting ready to do that in January. We've trained through the years over 3,000 pastors and leaders. And we've seen them do great things. We've seen some of them stayed with us. Some of them went into their own denominations. We're not looking to build our own kingdom. We just want to build the kingdom. So, so we don't care where they go. And... Um, we're just watching God do tremendous things through those students. When you realize, and these guys will understand what I'm about to tell you, some years ago we did the informal Bible school, and we didn't offer a degree or a, or a, a um, diploma of any kind. We just brought them in and trained them. And at the time, someone introduced a law before the Congress that would require all evangelical pastors to have some sort of degree because the Catholic priests have custodians, so the evangelicals should, and I actually am, am in agreement with that. But it would have literally closed down 99% of our churches because most Honduran pastors have a third to a sixth grade education. That's all that was available to them. And many of them have less than that, and so what happens is they learn three scriptures and run out and, and start preaching, and the zeal is great, but then what comes behind that is all this legalism and, and all of these different things, and they end up sending more people to hell than they sent to heaven, just 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 in, in the in the error of zeal. And so when this law came about, we realized we had to formalize the institute, and we had to do some things. I, I had to do some things on my end, and then we had to do some legal things, and we were able to formalize. We can give up to a master's degree. We are approved to give a, a doctoral degree if we ever have students of that level. We don't pursue that. We would do it through Reformed Seminary. And so we don't pursue that yet. But we're able to see men achieve levels of education that was that were never available to them before and and, and when we just we, when you see that change that comes upon a man when he gets that that diploma and he realized man i've achieved we call it licenciatura what you would call a bachelor's degree or i've achieved my maestria you know and and he knows that he worked and he studied and then he knows he understands this book because we don't try to teach them so much doctrine we give them tools to understand and we send them out. When we have one student, we send them out, and they have to have five that they disciple. When we were in La Mosquitia, and if you would to understand that area, you, you drive out to the end of where the road ends, and then you drive down the beach, and you drive down in the water, and they'll holler, is the bar closed? And you're thinking, God in heaven, they want to get drunk. And then you realize they're talking about the sandbar across the river. And if they say it's open, you have to go up and go on this makeshift raft, and you get to the end of that trail. And you get on a boat and you ride for hours in, in this, looks like South Louisiana without roads. And, and you drive in that thing and you get to where we're having school. And those guys can go up into those swamps and areas we can't go. And so those students had to have five, six students. And so today, they're in the mountains now, our students planting churches where there were no churches before. We won't get there. I'll never take pictures of those churches, pictures of those of those members, but we're just seeing God do things, and and He's doing things that 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 in phenomenal ways this year, and and this is our current project. We recently just finished a home for an unwed mother. We got hit by the Greek alphabet back at the end of last year and the first of this one. Eta, theta, and iota all three came against us with 
One was, I think, came ashore as a Category 4, and the other one just swept over us with Category 5 winds. And so our people lost homes. Um, the city where these guys were from, a large portion of that went underwater, and, and the massive destruction people lived in under tarps on the side of the of the highway there, and in the, they took over the road and lived there. Some of them still do, and just massive destruction. And so this year we, we focused all of our resources to, to help some of those people restore their homes. But So we're back into routine, and, and we're moving into a time we will, we will reach the week before Christmas or the, the second week before Christmas. We will reach 5,000 people that one week with toys and fair shopping. And we've targeted 750 to 1,000 children. And, and their families. What happens in Honduras, many years ago, I remember when I was still in Rio Viejo, I should tell you guys, my first trip to Honduras, I actually went chaperoning this boy and his brother with his dad. So so there's a, a strong connection in, in how we ended up there. But in, in Rio Viejo, where Jared knows, we came out of church and my wife says, we've got to go by this hut over here, the baby guy. And they wake him all night long because you have to go there within 24 hours. And so we went by and the family's grieving and they're crying. And I asked my wife, I said, how did the baby die? It looked so healthy. She said it had parasites. And I thought, wow, this must be this expensive medicine there to get in the mountains. And we investigated, and at that time, you could get the medicine for less than a dollar. And so we made a commitment before the Lord. We began to fast and pray. We made a commitment to the Lord that as long as he would provide, we would de-parasite every child that came under our influence at least twice a year. And so... We began to do that, but kids don't like that mess. It's nasty. It tastes like chalk, and it does things to you on the inside that you don't want to talk about in a public setting. And so you, well, those parasites got to go somewhere. Y'all can just let that, imagine how that works. And um, we began to, to de-parasite, but we couldn't find the way. And so this woman came from Memphis named Kathy Crowder, and she's just country as corn bone. And she said, Buzz died. I brought 101 toys that I want to give away, but she said, Toeys, T-O-W-E-E-S, Toeys, and I need to give them away, and so I thought 101 ain't going very far down here, and there's a lot of machetes, and so we went out to the soccer field, and the kids came, there's at least 300 kids there in Rio Viejo, and we prayed, and we started to give out toys, and everybody got a toy, and when it was over, we looked, and suitcases were still full. We went down to the village of El Pital and we gave out toys and all the kids got toys and the suitcases are still full. And so we went up to a place called Tompontin and we gave away toys and we gave everybody a toy. We, they were going home the next day and we looked and the suitcases were empty. And almost a thousand children got toys out of 101 toeys. And um, we realized, oh, that's our door. And so we began to trap kids with toys and school supplies and so we can give them parasite medicine. And that's grown into an evangelistic effort that every year we do. And if you guys decide you would like to help us with that, you can help us sponsor children. You saw that on the, on the thing there. We'll do that this, this second week. And then we move back into the mobile clinic. The Lord showed us how to ta take a clinic. We have a 15-minute clinic. You put that PVC thing up, you string the curtains, you put your doctors in there, and you'll reach 1,000 people that have no access to medicine in two days. And so the majority of our humanitarian services now focus on those two things. But we believe that God's called us to be part of a prophetic generation. We believe that God has called us to raise up a prophetic generation. And we believe that, that 
that the end of our life will take place in that format. We will, we will continue that endeavor until the day we go to be with Jesus. If you have your Bible, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to talk about missions. I just want to change the word for a moment. I want to talk to you about being missional. Is that okay? I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 1. In every generation, God raises up prophets. And I'm not talking about charismatic fortune tellers. And I'm not talking about Pentecostal soothsayers. I'm talking about men who are so saturated with the word that they understood what is worship really. Men who were so saturated with the word that they knew because of the circumstances around them that the God who is the same yesterday and today and forever is about to do something like he's done it before. But there are times when God raises up a prophetic generation. And I'm convinced that we live in those days. Those were the days of Jeremiah. When you, when you read the story of Jeremiah, you find that Jeremiah was placed as the overseer of the dismantling of the promise. Israel had been birthed in fire. They had been birthed in the middle of the sea. They had been birthed in glory and victory. But Israel had made alliances and brought in gods from other nations, and God said, you've committed adultery. And they came to the place because of lack of repentance that God had to judge the nation. And by the time we find Jeremiah, he's in the process of overseeing the dismantling of that promise. And you read the word, and you read the story, and the prophecies that Jeremiah brings, and you think that he's preaching to the lost. And you think he's preaching to the ones who have brought the judgment on until you read the first chapter, and all of a sudden you realize he's preaching to the righteous. And you realize that when Israel goes into judgment, the righteous will go with them. And you understand that when Israel marches into Babylon, it's not just the idolater. It's, just, it's not just the one that made political alliances outside the kingdom. Some of y'all need to catch that because we are a nation apart and we can't make alliances on that scale with, with foreign nations even though we live inside of one. Just You can take that and eat that all you want to. But it wasn't just those people, but the innocent always marched into judgment with the guilty. And it doesn't make sense until you find the word that Jeremiah brings. And you realize that God raised up a prophetic generation because in times of judgment, the mercy of God understands that somebody has to help those people walk it out. Somebody has to march into the judgment situation with the ones who brought this thing on us and helped them march back out because he understood they would only be there 70 years. Judgment always ends. The Bible says the wrath of God lasts for a second, but his love is, is everlasting. You see that picture? So, so understanding that judgment doesn't last forever, somebody has to march in with them and bring them back out, and it's called a prophetic generation. We read the words of Jeremiah this morning with that understanding. The, the word says that, these are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests in Anatot. You got a pencil, you can underline that word. In the territory of Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, 
son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart, and I anointed you as a prophet to the nations. Father, I just ask you to speak to us this morning. And I understand there's time limits, so you got to talk quick. But we need a word from you this morning. So we just ask you to speak. Speak to our hearts, speak to our ears, and by all means, Lord, we ask you for our transformation and encounter with the Holy Spirit of God in this place. So Jeremiah comes and he gives you this pedigree. I listened to Pastor Brock speaking of his grandfather who had been an overseer, his father who was a pastor. If you listen to Jared, Jared will talk to you about Papa Massey and the legacy that he left and his parents were godly people and that transformed lives, my life being one of those. If I could talk to you about my heritage, I would tell you that I'm sixth generation Assembly of God, fifth generation Church of God, because I had grandfathers that were pioneers on both sides of that fence. And I could talk to you all day about old Pentecost and watching people get slain in the spirit and fall through the pews and great grandma dancing around the church with this hot pipe on her head and she didn't know it burned her and all of those things. We saw them. We saw them. And it seems like that's what Jeremiah is doing. He says, dude, I'm a son of a priest. I'm over there in Hilkai. I'm the dude of the dudes. Until Jeremiah says this next thing, and we realize Jeremiah is probably weeping that day. He said, I'm the son of Hilkiah. My dad was a priest in Anakot. And every Jew understood because Anakot had not been named like the other cities were named. In the Old Testament, when Israel conquered a city or if they raised up a city, they always included a portion of the name of God, either El or Jah in the name of that city. You, you have Bethel, Bethlehem. You have all these cities that carry part of the name of God, but this one didn't. They would, they would place the name of Jehovah or the name of El on, those, on that city to let you know that that was a place that had been conquered by the kingdom of God, and this city had not. It carried the name of the goddess Annette. And all of a sudden you realized that this was a backslidden priesthood that had become so saturated with the common culture that they had forgotten who they were and they had forgotten why they were there. And all of a sudden they had allowed the promise of Israel to fall to the ground. Jeremiah said, that's my legacy. I'm the legacy of a church that allowed generations to walk away. I'm the legacy of a church who couldn't see past their, past their noses and past their political ambitions until they allowed generation after generation to walk away. I'm probably part of the cause of this. We stand in that place today. We stand in a time when, when, when our churches have allowed our children and our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews to walk away. And so interested in doing our religious thing and keeping our religious fires burning that we didn't look for the way to reach out and reach in and pull them out of the fire. And Jeremiah goes on and he says, my father was, was a priest at Anatot in the territory of Benjamin. 
and the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, and it gets weird. Because I remember Josiah. Josiah had revival. But if you remember the story, it was a little a little too little and a little too late, and it wasn't enough, and judgment still came. And, and we've seen those windows when God gave us our opportunities for repentance. And you say, well, that looks like us, and, and we thought we had it made, and all of a sudden we're back to looking like we, we may not have it made, and we just don't know. And then we get this clue. He said it was in the 13th year. Came from Louisiana. Y'all don't know about 13 like we do. You live in Louisiana, you know about 13. That's the day Freddie Krueger comes to visit, do you? And if you live down south of I-10, the Rougarou will get you on that day. Forget Halloween. It ain't nothing like the Rougarou south of I-10. And if you if you understand that that culture, you know you, you know you walk under the ladder and there's seven years and you break the mirror and there's another seven years and if there's a storm granulase or Bible open on the bed to split it and ain't nobody more superstitious than Louisiana folks. And I never understood the fear of Friday the thirteenth. It's just like it's just another number. And so I left Louisiana to go to Bible college and I was working over in Orange Beach at the Pretty Beach Hilton in the accounting department and. These guys, I think it's just called Pretty Beach now. It's still the biggest dinosaur over there. And um, these guys sent me up to the 14th floor to the tower to get this accounting book. And I told you I grew up in Louisiana. So I get on the elevator, and like Jed Clampett, it's only got 12 floors. And so me and Jed, we punch the button, and we come out. I get out on the 12th floor, and I, I realize there's stairs. So I'm taking stairs up to the 13th floor, and there's a door. I'm thinking this door goes to the 14th, and... I opened it and it's on the roof. I did that five times before I got a clue. I went up and down that elevator and finally I went back to my boss. I said, was this a joke? There is no 14th floor. She said, yes, it is. You get off the elevator and you go up the stairs. I said, the elevator ends at 12. That's the 13th floor. She said, no, our owners are Jewish. So there is no 13th floor because they have a superstition about the number 13 and I didn't understand it. But I'm in Bible college. I understand you look that stuff up. If you're talking about Jewish folks, you want to know why. And I found out something. The number 13 in Scripture is a very significant number. You know, you talk about the number 5 and you talk about grace. The number 7 is the number of perfection. 12 is godly government and apostolicity and all of these things. But when you get to 13, 13 was the number of all hell being released against you. He said, in the year that all hell was released against Israel. If I talked to some of y'all today, you'd say, hey, that's my house. All hell was released against me this year. If you look at the nation, we'd say all hell was released against our nation. All hell was released against our health system. Whatever thing you want to do, we understand that, that, that we've come under some kind of an attack, whether it's a storm sent by the hand of God or whether it's an attack of our mortal enemy of our soul. We don't know. We just understand that everything that could come against us came against us. Some of us lost our jobs. Some of us lost our, 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 our health. We lost loved ones. We lost family members. And guess what? Broken people outside the house did too. But there's something about the 13th year. And if you're living there this morning, I especially want you to hear me. But I want this generation to hear me because if there's ever a generation that's living in the 13th year, it's us. And if there's ever a time marker in Scripture for where we are, it's this place. And if we ever understand who we are, it's right now. And all of a sudden we stand like Esther listening at the words of Mordecai and saying, perhaps you came into the kingdom for such a time as this.
Perhaps this is your day. This is your year. Perhaps this is the reason you were born. Because Jeremiah says this about the 13th year, and all of a sudden he changes the whole thing. Jeremiah doesn't say in the 13th year all hell broke out against me. Jeremiah doesn't say in the 13th year my wife left me, or in the 13th year my, my, my brother died of COVID, or in the 13th year I lost my job and they took my retirement, or in the 13th year I, I, I had to choose between, between this thing or that thing in order to keep my job. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say in the 13th year my child walked out and got on drugs, or my church collapsed, or any of this stuff. He says in the 13th year the word of the Lord came. So here's the marker in time. We understand where we are. We understand that much like Israel, we've walked into a time that our nation may face a judgment that we've never seen before, and we have to go with them. We don't understand why. We understand that we're in the 13th year. If you read on down, he'll talk about Jehoiakim, and that name means when Jehovah has abandoned us. And all of a sudden you realize, oh God, even in the day when I can't hear him and I can't find him and I can't see him, and it seems like Jehovah has left me. He said, that's when the word of the Lord came to me. So I stand before you this morning, and I say that we are the generation not waiting to see whether our nation makes it or fails because it just doesn't matter. If this thing collapses, the kingdom of God goes on. If this thing doesn't make it, if Washington fails this morning, the kingdom of King Jesus goes on. And I must tell you, there is no king but King Jesus. Those guys have their president. They have their Congress. And we carry documents because we're forced to. But we're citizens of another kingdom, and it's the only one that matters, and it's the only law to which we submit. If, if the other thing fails today, we keep moving. So it doesn't matter if you're in the 13th year or if, or, or if you feel that Jehovah has abandoned you. The time marker here, the benchmark, the signal here is that in that time, Somebody better get ready because this is when the word of the Lord is coming. And I, I have to believe that we're in the middle of a prophetic generation that is hearing and is about to hear the word of the Lord for this generation. Because I will tell you, God never called us to save a nation. He called us to rescue a generation. And if we don't hear the word of the Lord for this generation, we'll stand before God for them. And Jeremiah begins to speak to the righteous. And in so doing, he speaks to himself, and he, he talks about the word that came to him, but it's the word for, for his generation that's going into judgment with the wicked. And he said, this is what the Lord said to me. This is the word I have for you this morning. He said, before you were formed in your mama's womb, I knew you. Oh, good. I like the idea that God knows me. I understand he's got my hairs counted. haven't lost mine yet, praise God. They just turned white. There's paint there. I understand that, that he knows exactly where I live, and, and he knows exactly all these things. It's really not what he's saying. The word there is gotta. It's that word that the Bible used when it said Adam knew Eve, and she got pregnant and had Cain. 
And it's the word that it used when it, when it talks of other men that had relations with their wife and they became pregnant. And all of a sudden you understand something. You understand that God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I knew who you were before you were ever born in the womb. I don't care if your daddy was a backslid priest or if he was a drug dealer or if he's the president of the United States and there's not a lot of difference in those two. I don't care if your mother was a prostitute or if she was the first lady, and, and I won't carry that one out. Y'all didn't laugh on the first row. It was supposed to be funny, so we're just going to stop there. But y'all can make the analogy. There's no importance to me in your pedigree or the lack thereof because I knew who you were before the sperm ever met the egg. And I knew what your purpose was before the sperm ever met the egg. And before you were formed in the womb, I was intimate with you. Some of you guys need to catch that today. Because sometimes we come in the house thinking we're worthless and we're useless and we have no purpose and we have no place. And I'm here to tell you that everyone in this room had an intimate relation with Jehovah God before you were ever formed in the womb. And he impregnated us with a purpose and a destiny for a generation. You were not born in 1849 during the abolition movement. You were not born at the end of the Civil War, nor were you born in the greatest generation at World War II. We weren't, he didn't see fit to, to, to bring us to birth for Vietnam or for the Civil Rights Movement. That was not our time. He saw fit to cause us to walk on the earth in 2021. When a great nation called the United States is marching very quickly toward judgment, when all the little nations around it are following suit, and all of a sudden you understand what he said when he said you've made the nations drunk with the wines of your adulteries, and you realize that every nation that, that, that follows is following that same path. And if the people of God don't rise up and understand their purpose and destiny, we've lost. He says, I impregnated you. And he's speaking to a different generation, but it was a generation of the 13th year. It was a prophetic generation. He said, I've already impregnated you with your purpose. And he'll go on to tell them that they'll go into Babylon and they'll declare the glory of God among the nations. And, and there's this whole evangelistic aspect there. And, and we know from history that, that, that there were things left there and things brought back. But their purpose was to go in, build houses, raise their gardens, live life among the people. Live life among the people until they understood the glory of God. Well, pastor, if they carry me into one of those consecration stuff, march in with your head held high and declare the glory of God. Or if you just drive down Snow Road in the line at the Walmart, make sure that the one next to you understands the glory of God. It is your impregnated purpose. It also means we have to control our conversation, whether it be digital or verbal or written. So we ask ourselves questions like this. If the abortion doctor reads our Facebook today, is he going to want my Jesus because he's the one I'm here for? If the, depending on which way you fall politically, if the Biden supporter reads my Facebook, will he want my Jesus? Or if the Trump supporter reads my Facebook, will he want my Jesus? If, 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 if the homosexual on, on the left side over here reads my, my social media post, will he want my Jesus? You get that? And so all 
all of a sudden, every single aspect of who we are has to become dedicated to the fact that they need Jesus. Everything that I do, every step that I take, every word that I say, every digital post that I make has to be filtered before it's posted, they have to be filtered before I say it with the fact that the man next to me, the woman next to me, the child in front of me needs Jesus and I have to be salt and light and I cannot taint the grace of God. At this point, when we're part of a prophetic generation, our personal desires and our personal wants are no longer important. The only thing that's important, whether it be my, my political aspirations, whether it be my, my professional aspirations, whether it has to do with my bank account, whether it has to do with, with, with my dreams and my visions for life, every single aspect of who I am has to do with the fact that this broken and lost generation needs Jesus. Then you begin to, to realize things like this. The only reason that God greatly prospers me is so that I can finance the work of the kingdom. The only reason that God gives me influence is so that I can influence the people in my circle to be part of the kingdom. The only reason that God places me in, in situations that are uncomfortable is so when that thing squeezes me, the glory of God that shows forth will draw people into the kingdom. And now every single aspect of who I am and what I do becomes spiritual. Every word that I say becomes spiritual. Everything that I do becomes prophetic because I am a part of a prophetic generation and I focus my attention on that. He says, and I sanctified you. Oh, I remember. Let me tell you about sanctified. I remember Jerry got unsanctified one time in church. We were sanctified folk. He probably didn't tell you all that, but we were. Ask his mama sometime what happens when you conspire with his father to hide a beer in the refrigerator and she finds it. It ain't nice. She will run you off with a vengeance. And you can't you can't come back for two days. Ask Jared what happens when daddy tells him to be good in church and he makes hand puppets over the bench by Momo. And daddy takes the drumstick away from the drummer and comes down and takes him out of the church and breaks the drumstick. Ask him. We were sanctified folks. And I remember before that, you know, back in the day, sanctification had to do with the length of your sleeves and the length of your skirt and the length of your hair and how much hair you had on your legs if you was a woman. We, you know, that's why we went out among the Philistines to find wives. I remember those days. And then I remember it, it, it came along in the 80s and it was how many scriptures you could quote and could you chant them just right and, and did you sit in front of the mirror and said, I am a man of God and this is my best day. I'm having my best day yet and all of these things. Now there's other things, and it's how many choruses do you know? Which ones do you sing, and are they the right ones? And that you got them at the right rhythm. But this word right here is simply set apart. It's the china that Mama didn't let you eat off of unless the preacher came. It's the Christmas dishes that you only saw on December 25th, and you ate out of the plastic cups and the Mel Mac. Well, some of y'all are too young for Mel Mac, but do you remember Mel Mac? Dude, you put that stuff in the wash in the dishwasher, it burns and it stinks. It, it was this plastic. It didn't last long, but Tupperware. You, you ate off all that stuff. You ate off the common stuff. It's simply a word that says, I made you uncommon. Paul will adapt that word later, and you'll find out that being holy has to do with preaching the gospel. In my sanctification, I'm sanctified by my activity of, of preaching the gospel. And so we understand here this is a gospel thing. 
He says, I impregnated you with purpose, and here it is. I impregnated you for the dissemination and the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised on the third day, and that his blood is sufficient to take away sin. If you wonder why I'm here, Lord, why was I born? Well, that's it. Father, why did you create me? Why did you put me here in Mobile? Me? For that reason. And then he said this, and I want you to hear. He says, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Not a fortune teller, not a soothsayer, but a man or a woman of God so saturated with the words of the covenant that your very life confronts brings conviction of the Holy Spirit and brings the mercy of God. That's our purpose. I don't know. Can you, can you Yahweh, I'm, 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 I'm too, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a child. Mary too. How can I be pregnant? I'm not qualified. She wasn't. She'd never had a man. And, you know, you got to have one of them to get pregnant and, if the word that he spoke to Mary is the same word that he would have spoken to Jeremiah, and it's the word of the Lord to you this morning. Because any time we talk about reaching our generation with the gospel, we see the impossibilities first, and we see our own inadequacies first, and we see our own lack of qualifications first. The word of the Lord to Mary was, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will overshadow you. And all of a sudden, reaching our neighborhood and reaching our, our our neighbors, imagine that. And reaching our, our city doesn't become about us. It becomes about the one who sent us. So if there's failure, it's not on us, it's on him. Because I'm not going out there in Steve's name. I'm not standing in a pulpit in Steve's name. I'm not healing the sick in Steve's name. I'm not, you're not going out there in, in, in I only know Jared and Brock, so y'all got to forgive me for using their names over and over. I don't know you other guys here, so... You're not going out there in Jared's name or in Brock's name. You're going in the name of Jesus Christ, to whom all authority in heaven and earth was given, and he gave it to us, and it's all that matters. He said, the, 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 the kingly spirit of Yahweh is upon me, and he has Christed me, or he has made me king for gospeling. He has anointed me for gospeling, and he used a verb there. So we must understand, Jeremiah says, I'm too young. And he says, oh, no, you're not. Because when the Holy Spirit overshadows you, all of a sudden you can stand up like a man and gospel. And all of a sudden gospel becomes a verb. And we realize it's not just standing in somebody's face and saying, get right or, or, or get left. You're not, you're not saying, get right or go to hell. All of a sudden you are the good news. And all of a sudden you are that which brings change. And you are that which brings deliverance. And you are a prophetic generation. The Lord said, don't be afraid of them because I am with you. And I will rescue you. And that word may be very important to us in these days. You guys know better than I the direction that, that some things seem to be going. Whether they are or not, we, we won't know until we get there. But we may come to the point where we have to stand in this word and say, don't be afraid. I'm still part of a prophetic generation. 
and regardless of what goes on around me, I'm still required to reach a generation. Jeremiah goes back and forth with the Lord. And the Lord brings him, gives him this word, and this is the word that I'll give to this house this morning. He said, this is a word for you. And my appreciation for you. Because I, I noted something the last time that, that I sat with you and spoke to you in the office. I listened to Jared's heart last night. Follow this thing because I follow this boy. And just because I'm very interested in how this goes. And I realize y'all are agents of change. And while many are, are waiting for the glory days of Pentecost to come back and be able to buck dance and shout down the aisle. Somehow you guys understand we did that and there's a new move of God coming in. It may look different. It may be different. And whether we do that again or whether we don't do it again, we're going to reach a generation with whatever it takes. And we're willing to change our mind and try to change other people's minds. That pretty much encapsulate who you are. That's, what, that's how I see you. I went in the hotel last night and y'all never been in the tree up there by Hilton. It's not 2021, that's 2023 the most modern place I've ever been. And I told my wife, I said, just a little bit that I was with Pastor Brock, this really screams to me him. Because when I sat with him two years ago, that, that was really what I picked up. He's one of the most modern thinking men I've, I've ever met as a pastor of a church. But I really think that's a prophetic thing in this city. And I listened to you. And, and that conversation, you can share whatever how you want to. But I listened to you, and I understood that other men don't think that way. And I realized that other men are willing to sacrifice a generation rather than encounter truth the way you're encountering it. But that doesn't come easily, and it comes with a price. And it doesn't come quickly. And it comes slowly, and people think, well, God, you're not accomplishing anything. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Listen to what the word the Lord said to, to Jeremiah. This is verse 17 if you're following in your book there. Get yourself ready. At least this said. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. You might want to grab part of your seat there. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Because today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, its priests, all them religious folk too, yeah, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Will you stand to your feet? And I apologize, I'm supposed to come as a missionary and raise money and all of these things. And I always get caught up. I really rather talk about what he's doing than what we're doing. And I hope the video made clear to you what we are doing. And if you decide that you would like to help us, we would be so eternally grateful. I just want to ask you this morning, 
become part of a prophetic generation because I must remind you prophets are never formed under air conditioner and cotton pillows and and soft situations prophets are formed in the desert where the burning sand beats you in the eyes and the buzzards fly around looking to see if they're going to feed you to their kids tomorrow and it's all prophets are always formed under difficult situations and in hard situations and this generation is formed that Are you willing to say this morning, whatever it takes to reach my generation, whatever mental change I have to make, whatever spiritual discipline I have to adapt and learn, whatever action, whatever sacrifice, whatever investment I have to make to see this generation return to the kingdom of God. I'm willing to do that. If that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? And if you're here this morning, you say, I make that commitment, but I really need help. I really don't know exactly how to do this. I need the Holy Spirit to come on, on, come in with me and help me do that. Just raise your hand again. Yeah. Well, Jesus... to lose yet another generation and this time we're about to lose a nation and if you don't help us to become what you set us here to become we'll be just like grandpa and grandma and all the others that lost their generation so Holy Spirit we ask you will you come and will you speak into our hearts find that purpose and show us how to direct it to reach this generation and will you come and help us pull out all the stops to understand that nothing's too good nothing's too big nothing's too anything for the kingdom what I have is yours what I acquire is yours what you need of me is yours will you help us make that our city. We bless you. In Jesus' name. You can be seated for just a moment. I I just want to share with you a couple of things. Your pastor has our information. If you guys would like to support us on a monthly basis, missionary is always best, but I will tell you this, that that the larger majority of what we bring in goes to the work, and I support myself by coming to preach. We do some other things. We don't live off of the monthly stuff. We support our pastors. We support our projects. If you would like to sponsor a child for Christmas, the video said 10 because that thing's a couple years old. Things have gone up a little bit. It's $12 a child this year. Please consider adopting some of those children. A child with a high parasite infection will die from the common cold. 
and in the mountains of Honduras and some of the remote places where we go, they don't receive those medicines. In the cities, most of the time they get them in school, but in the mountains they don't. If you would like to support our mobile clinic, there's several ways you can do that apart from financial. We, um, we spend all of our year looking for medicines, looking for medical supplies. Um, we have a PVC clinic that we could go into a village or into a neighborhood and set it up in 15 minutes and have doctors working. But we need medicines. Some of those we have to buy. Most of the time we recruit them from people like you. Um, and then we ship them down out of New Orleans. If you guys, and, and, and we don't do prescription medicines, blood pressure medicines, diabetes medicines, things like that. If you have that, they're, they're good. Um, Hondurans are not accustomed to narcotic pain medicine. And a leave or an ibuprofen generally gets what they've got. So we look for over-the-counter medicines, over-the-counter cold medicines, over-the-counter allergy medicines, things that, that you can pick up at the dollar store when you see them on sale or the Walmart and you bring them and stick them in a box if your pastor's in agreement with that. I didn't talk to him before church. I, I might be getting in trouble right now. But if those are things that you would like to do, talk to your pastor. We ask you not to do anything with our ministry without your pastor's approval. And anything that you would like to give, you give through your church. He knows how to give it to us. But if you decide to do that, we would be eternally grateful. And the people that are under our influence in Honduras. Well, Steve, appreciate you so much. Can we let, can we let our brother know that we appreciate him this morning?